गुरु गौरांग की जाए गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए गौ नित्यानंद की जाए गौ भक्तविंद की जाए probably better not to think and just worship, but <laughs> think less and worship more. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> I was wondering if there's any worship of Krishna as he appears in Vrindavan before Ruchi. And I'm also wondering if that relationship is, is different in relationship to Lord Chaitanya. Well, um, As I understand your question, um, is there any worship of Krishna? Did you say as he's worshipped in Vrindavan? As he appears in Vrindavan before one attains the stage of Ruchi. Um, it, uh, reminds me of, um, some um, of Raghavartma Chandrigan and some of my commentary on Shikshastakam on the uh, uh, probably the fourth verse. I don't know if you're referring to that, but the um, the question that's um, put forward by Vishnu Chakravitakur in a book called Raghavartma Chandrika, Raghavartma, the, the Chandrika means like moonbeam, the moonbeam light of the path of of Rag, which means the way in which uh, Rag uh, Krishna is uh, worshipped in Vrindavan, perceived and uh, loved in Vrindavan. Prabhupada uh, sometimes translate the word Rag spontaneously, and Sridhar Maharaj would sometimes characterize it as uh, non-calculative, um, inasmuch as, uh, by contrast, he meant that in the in reverential love of God, there's some calculation. He's God, therefore I worship him. So to go beyond that and requires some obscuring of the fact that the object of love is, is God, and this is the Krishna conception. So if the finite, infinite, as we often say, it takes a finite-like appearance, then it's possible for the finite to relate uh, in intimacy with the infinite. And so in the book, Vishwanath Chakravita, of course, uh, poses the question that Krishna is, in Vrindavan, is absorbed in the, um, in Leela with his devotees. And in order for there to be that intimacy, intimacy, there's some, to put it another way, forgetfulness on his part of his godhood. It's obscured. It's, it's actually kind of pushed to the background by the force of the love of the devotees. So that being the case, um, what's our uh, position who are appealing to that form of the Godhead, Krishna, in Vrindavan? How will he hear 
our prayers. Since his omniscience, if you will, or his majesty, his godhood, has been has receded to the background and uh, he's absorbed in kind of a self-forgetfulness that's necessary to the intimacy of that love. Mm. And Chakravartakur says, well, uh, we could say that those devotees who want to worship him like that and are praying to him, so they're worshiping him, um, the question is, how will they hear? How will he hear them? He says, "Well, maybe the Paramatma will hear, and then he'll through that a partial manifestation of himself. The prayers will be taken, in and um, somehow they'll be heard." And then he says, "No, no. That, 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 how can we be satisfied with that? That our prayers to Krishna." will go to only a partial omniscient manifestation of himself and not to him him personally. Disconnect, he he points out. And then he cites a verse from the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam where Uddhava is speaking about Krishna. In in Dwaraka, the city, the metropolitan um, representation of Krishna, where they, where sometimes he appears forehanded. In, in Goloka, there's three main capitals. There's Dwaraka, the city. There's Natura, which is also a city, but not as fantastic built up it's of, as as uh, Dwaraka. And then there's the, the pastoral Vrindavan. Mm-hmm. Um, and inside the pastoral Vrindavan, hidden inside of this so in Dwaraka, then the, the devotees there, like Uddhava, um, Rukmini, Satyabhama, and so forth, they know that Krishna's God. Their kind of experience is like, oh my God, God is like one of our family members. He's a prince here. And here we are, we talk to him, and, and, and he's God. It's not quite like Bhakuntha where there's a God and we don't even talk to him. Some people do here and there, but, you know, um, it's much more intimate. But still, there's this knowing that he's God. And so, Uddhava's position there is that he's the counselor of Krishna. He knows the Shastra perfectly. And so, Krishna, as the, as the prince, has a, has a counselor and he asks his advice, you know, what, what the scripture says, what I should do. And so Uddhava is always giving the advice. In this one text, he marvels. He says, Krishna, you know, you, you are omniscient, hmm? You're, but yet you, you ask me questions as if you don't know. This is uh, fascinating to me. And the point inciting that verse on the part of Vishnu Chakravarti is that in Dwaraka, Krishna is, his omniscience is, is manifest enough for Uddhava to say, you're omniscient, but you're asking me questions. So the fact that he's asking questions also shows that there's another side. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing, but there's also another side to him 
It causes them to ask the questions for the sake of the leela. And so there's a kind of sweetness there in that. But what's predominant in Dwarka is his omniscience and his kind of, what's the word? Hmm. Bewilderment, kind of, by the, by, the, by the love of his devotees that causes omniscience to recede is, to, is present a little bit. And Uddhava is pointing it out. You ask me as if you don't know. And that's amazing when you actually know everything. So he says, in the same way that the equation between omniscience, all-knowing, and not-knowing hmm, is present in Dwarka, it's also present in Vrindavan, but it's reversed. It's reversed means that his all-knowing is as small as his not-knowing in Dwarka. Hmm? And his not-knowing is as large, if you will, as his all-knowing in Dwarka when he's in Braj. So the equation shifts. His point being that Krishna is always omniscient in this sense, uh, or omniscience is always there. And therefore, if the rag-bhakta sadhakas from this world pray to him, he can hear their prayers. So there's hope that our, we don't want to pray to Krishna and then some other form of Krishna that we are not pursuing. Here's the prayer. It's kind of a funny argument, but uh, but you want to know that that, that, that the, the form of the God who, who who we choose to worship as a result of sadhu sangha because we worship we come in touch with certain sadhus, we become influenced by them, and one of the ways we become influenced by them is we become influenced by the way in which they worship. So we take up the same form of worship, and and then that form of worship has everything to do with our relationship, ultimately, what rasa we will attain, and so on. So, so um, our focus is exclusively on, on this form of Krishna. And so, um, that being said, as I've made... Um, the argument in my commentary on Shikshastakam, what kind of prayers those will have to be that, that, that his omniscience will be touched and like to hear us. Hmm? Um, uh, for the sake of emphasizing the importance of sadhana and uh, sincerity and so on and so forth. Um, and I think I've cited Bhakti Vinod there, Thakur, that says, for, for the Sharanagata, the surrendered soul, then Krishna, Brajendra and Krishna can hear um, his or her prayers. Sharanagati, as we've explained um, elsewhere, is, is that um, it means like self-resignation. It, it's sixfold in its limbs, um, but even overarching sense, it's well. It may be translated surrender, uh, and um, it's something that, in the stage of sadhana, we cultivate. We 
cultivate faith, shraddha, and the outer expression of that faith is the sharanagati. So faith has become something very tangible. Faith is kind of ethereal in one sense. With Bhakti Vinotak, where I say, well, it has an outer, it's an inner reality that has an outer expression, sharanagati. We go through the six limbs of sharanagati to accept what is favorable for serving Krishna and reject what's unfavorable. Hmm. That's one. Anukul pratikul. So if you were to go about your life and that now becomes your goods and bads and your otherwise goods and bads that were determined by your mind and senses are replaced with favorables and unfavorables um, in relation to Krishna. If it's favorable for Krishna Bhakti, I like it. If it's unfavorable, I don't like it. So it's a big thing to live like that. Because we have lots of other things we like. For example, we might like to sleep late, but it might be favorable for bhakti and ashram to rise early. So it may be uncomfortable to our body and mind. We do so. And this, of course, is how we try to sort of transcend the dictates that we're presently under. And it's quite, they're quite dictatorial, quite a, a despotic. Uh, you know, the mind and senses and how they preside over us um, even though we love them, you know. <laughs> we, we fight for their, you know, for their, uh, their rights and wrongs. So at any rate, uh, to accept what's favorable, reject what's unfavorable. Then, anukulyatsasamka pratikulyasavarjanam rakshikshati vishvash. Oh, vishvash means... And there's a mood. There's a mood that, that, that goes with each of these. So the mood behind pratikul, anukul, accepting the favorable, rejecting the unfavorable, is a commitment, pratigna, kind of a, a vow. Hmm? So we make some commitment, and we, and we hold, hold ground there on that commitment, regardless of the sea, the ocean, the, the um, tidal wave of the mind and the senses. Hmm? That's how we accomplish that, how we approach that uh, with, a, with some commitments, some kind of vrata, some vow, something like that. Hmm? So, for example, we may be initiated and a guru will tell us to live within certain parameters. You should do this, you shouldn't do that, you should do your bhajan this way, this many times, whatever that may be. So, that's kind of the beginning idea of that. So then, Remote to Rakshik Shakti Vishvash. Vishvash means um, confidence. It, it means um, kind of a um, faith. Um, and Rakshik Shakti Vishvash. Rakshak means protection. So it's kind of a faith, a faith, a confidence that Krishna will protect me. Hmm? I live in the world, and Krishna will protect me. And um, he, you know, conscious that I don't require any other protector. Hmm. So to cultivate that that mood, and along then the third one is Gopratvevaranamtata, that Krishna will maintain me. The mood behind that is is uh, what is it? It's like um, dependence. Hmm. So there's a, a conviction and a dependence. 
conviction is Krishna will, will protect me. And and sometimes it said, Mari Krishna Rakike, Raki Krishna Marike. If Krishna wants to kill me, no one can protect me. If Krishna wants to protect me, no one can kill me. So if someone can kill me, then Krishna must have allowed it. So something like that. So, uh, uh, so that's a kind of a, 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 like I say, like a commitment and, and a confidence. And the confidence in the prowess of Krishna and, um, and by contrast, a lack of confidence in my own ability is also the implication. Hmm. That uh, it's possible for me to be successful because Krishna is the way he is. Hmm. If it was up to me, then it wouldn't be possible. Something like that. So there's this kind of confidence. And then, as I say, dependence. That I'm dependent on Krishna for my maintenance. It may look like I'm dependent on others, but actually he's behind it all. Once I was walking with Prabhupada Vrindavan, like he would uh, often ask me, so, Triparamrish, what are they saying? Because I was always in touch with the public, speaking to people. And so I, he would want arguments, you know, that they were giving so he could give a reply. And I said, well, probably sometimes they say that we're, you people are just parasites mooching off the society. Why don't you get a job? Hmm? And Prabhupada said, um, he said that, um, then don't give. And then he said, but you can't. What he meant was, then, if you feel like that, don't give. But... Uh, People can't stop giving because through Krishna's moving them to take care of us by our, by our outreach and preaching and so on and so forth. So that's how he replied very simply. Um, more could be said. You know what, what, what a parasite is, <laughs> and how we are the, very much the antithesis of that. But um, but. Um, we're, de- we're dependent upon Krishna. This dependence on Krishna and also this confidence and this protection are kind of interchangeably um, by great uh, acharyas thought to be the Swarupalakshan or the primary characteristic of this Sharanagati. The others are the marginal characteristics. So the centerfold, if you will, of Sharanagati is that. Uh, I'm dependent on Krishna. Now, let's go, for example, to the Bhagavad Gita. How does the Bhagavad Gita conclude? There Krishna says, Sarvadharman Puritya Mami Kam Sharanam Raja. So Sharanam means the same as Sharanagati. Um, he says, Sarvadharman, there are many dis- things discussed in the Gita, hmm? and among them, the Dharma, Marg, and being religious and uh, acknowledgement of the devas and and so on and so forth. He says, Sabadam and Prithyaja. Prithyaja means to give up. He says, give up um, all other, basically he says, religious conceptions. If you want me, to, you want me to tell you, Arjun, what I've been saying in one um, concise statement, what I've been saying... He, although I've been talking about different paths and so forth, what I'm saying is give up all other forms of religion, which I've talked about, to make a contrast between the central theme of my discourse 
which is to love me exclusively. And what exclusive devotion is, let's talk about it directly, and let's talk about it indirectly by what it's not, by looking at um, Gyan Marg, or the Karma Marg, the path of karma for, for material acquisition, or the path of knowledge, or mixed bhakti, hmm? um, and so forth. So these are all topics in the Gita, but they're not just, well, I think I'll choose this one or that one. If you study it, it has it all there's the context and everything. So he says, all the other examples of religion, including pratyajami, is very comprehensive. It means including gyan, or renunciation, which, which is the antithesis of the karma mark. Karma mark is the path of acquisition. We do prayers to God to get material things, to go to heaven, and so forth. And which is thought to be less intelligent in the Gita because the planets of the gods are all temporary and so on and so forth. And then so then the weather, and then there's the path of renunciation, giving up the pursuit through the knowledge of that, that, that uh, of, of such that the world's temporary, I'm not. Hmm? Um, in a way that leads to kind of an impersonal realization of Nirvisesh Brahma and so forth. So, um, renunciation, what I mean to say, is an anga, a limb of the body of the Gyanmarg. It's not a limb of the body of bhakti. Although there is a kind of renunciation in bhakti, it's included within Sharanagati when it says we, we reject things that are unfavorable for Krishna. Bhakti. So, there's our renunciation. Why are we rejecting? Because Krishna doesn't like it. And the focus is positive. It's not a focus on renunciation per se. It's a focus on what Krishna likes. Hmm? If he doesn't like it, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Hmm? Something like that. So Rupa Goswami calls this yukta vairagya. He says vairagya is not an anga, a limb of bhakti, whereas in the Gyanmarg it is. In other words, the body of the Gyanmarg has its angas, and one of them is this cultivation of renunciation. So you see these extremes of renunciation um, that are part of the path of Gyan and, and, and people in India, for example, you can find living naked in the Himalayas or something like that, and they're exposing themselves to extremes of heat and cold and um, and uh, performing various austerities and so forth. Tapa, Vairagya, uh, we're not doing that. Um, our, not part of our practice, but there is a kind of renunciation and it's beautiful because you might say, well, you know, that doesn't sound like much of a renunciation, but if you think about it carefully, Uddhava has described it very nicely. Also in the Gita, he said, or in the Bhagavad he said, our renunciation is that we will only wear the, your hand-me-downs, your vestments. Now, Krishna was a prince, so he had pretty nice clothes. So Uddhava was a pretty well-dressed guy. And so you can think, well, you're dressing pretty nicely compared to a naked sadhu, you know. And you call that renunciation. But if you look carefully at it, one person is giving up the um, material comfort so that he can be comfortable and do nothing. In other words, I'll give up all work so that I could sit and not have to do anything. The other person, the devotee, is doing what Krishna wants. So it's one thing not to do anything. Hmm? Another thing to do only what somebody else wants. 
the latter is more difficult. In other words, if I find out that I'm doing certain things and they're not in my interest, I'm exploiting material nature, so I'm incurring a karmic debt, and it's making me work because the more I take, the more I owe. So, hey, I come to knowledge and I'll stop that. I won't take anything, and I'll just sit here and I won't do anything either, and I'll just be peaceful. So, to illustrate the difference further of this perspective and the bhakti perspective, in another place in this Bhagavatam commentary, Vishwanachakri Thakur says that while material desires are strong and problematic for one pursuing bhakti and has to overcome them by the force of bhakti, actually the desire for mukti of the jnani and the vairagni is actually stronger. That desire is stronger. Materially, we have desires for this, for that, and we know we can't get everything, so we, we give them up, or you know, we, we try it, and it doesn't please us anyway, we change. And so the desires, they, they're strong as kind of a composite, as a whole, but none of them is that, that strong. Hmm? One competes with the other, defeats it, and things can change, and so forth. But the desire for mukti hmm, is like very strong. That's very focused. Hmm? To be successful, framing out all the other desires, giving up everything. And they see the extremities to which they go, live in the cave. You know. So it's very strong. And, it, and it's not a desire to serve. It's a desire to stop working. Hmm. To stop, to get out of the labor force hmm, that my exploitation is, is involving me in. If you go to prison, you know you have to break rocks. It used to be like that. You have to break rocks. So the guy realizes, I'm just breaking rocks here. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm taking from the world. I'm a thief. Okay, and that's ugly. And the, and the work I have to do is, is is to break rocks. This is meaningless. So I, I don't want to be a thief. That's good. And but I don't. I, and and my motivation is. I don't want to break rocks all the time. I like to sit peacefully, do nothing. So there's there's not a clear acknowledgement in that perspective of the Godhead, who we are all parts and parcels of, and have a relationship with because He's maintaining us. We're being maintained, and therefore we should be served and loved and so on and so forth. There's this very abstract idea of God. And there's not really any room for serving in the general idea of merging into Brahman hmm? that is prominent amongst the jnanis. Hmm? And so the desire is very strong. So it's more detrimental to one in terms of the prospect that the jiva has through good association to attain bhakti rasa. Hmm? Because it's difficult to give up that desire if you've got some scar for that, and you've been very much cultivated that. It's a, you know, he, so he says it's better to have material desires than no material desires, and focused on that alone, that'll be more difficult to overcome, even by sadhu sangha of devotees, and come to bhakti. Hmm? It's, an, it's a very interesting perspective because normally we thought these guys are saints and the materialistic people is the opposite and. And there's some truth to that, but what is the center of bhakti is the idea. So 
again, Uddhava says, we just wear the clothes of Krishna. But now, you know, you have no choice in the matter. Whatever he gives you, that's what you wear. Hmm? If he gives you princely clothes, that's what you've got to wear. If he just gives you the simple cloth and a kopan, you know, that's what you wear. And you're doing his bidding. So you're, it's one thing, again, to, as I've said sometimes, to take all your material desires, dig a hole and put them in a hole and cover it up. Hmm? It's possible that some sprouts could come up again. But if you build a temple on top of it and dance and do kirtan, nothing's going to come up again, something like that. So bhakti is, deals with the problems of material existence, the karmic involvement, and more, something like that. So it's, it's the positive numbers beyond the positive sense that zero has in relation to negative numbers, negative numbers being the karmic implication, zero being gyan, hmm? um, transcendental knowledge, and bhakti being the positive numbers. So, so in Sharanagati, or this Sharanagati, the centerpiece of Sharanagati, depending on Krishna, um, this uh, dependence, and he's my maintainer, it's coming out in the Gita, in the conclusion of the Gita. And, and, and Krishna says, Sarva Dharma, so give up all the Dharma, Dharma here means all the idea of material acquisition, like Arjuna in the beginning of the Gita was arguing, on account of Dharma, I shouldn't go to war. And then Krishna says, well, wait a minute, you know. Dharma's about, in Dharma you think you're this body, and uh, or that's your focus, and that material acquisition is important. But here's some knowledge, you're not the body, and this second chapter begins, and so forth. And bhakti comes up there as well. So, so um if we look at it like bhakti is the center and then there's karma on one side and jnana on the other, when Krishna says sarva dharma he says give up the karma and give up the jnana as paths unto themselves. As paths unto themselves and as very tendencies within us to enjoy boga and tyag, to give it up. We're kind of moving between the two. We, we, we pursue a thing, we give the thing up. We pursue a thing, we're just going back and forth. Two sides of the same coin. And then there are specific paths given in the scriptures to cultivate the boga, the enjoying, and go down. And then to cultivate the tyag and get mukti. Both of them are centered on the world. One wants to take it, one wants to get away from it. Bhakti, on the other hand, is not trying to get away from the world, not going to take anything from the world. For, its, for one's own self, hmm? neither to try to run away from the world, hmm? to acknowledge to whom the world belongs and live accordingly. Hmm? This is the, 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 the middle path, if you will, the central path. And, and with regard to the Gita and Charanagati, the book ends like this, and he says, Sabadam and Purdue, to give up all the Dharma, and Purdue implies also and renunciation, hmm? both the paths. Hmm? And what in its place, Sarva Dharma Pritya Mam Ekam, me only, Sharanam, Mam Ekam, Sharanam, come to me uh, in exclusively um, and, and take shelter of me. Mam Ekam Sharanam Raja. Sharanam, it means Sharanagati. So do Sharanagati to me, 
depend, in other words, only on me. And, uh, and the word braja means, here it's a verb, and come to me. Now, just as an aside, the word braja, as we know, we hear it, it also means Vrindavan, the leelas of Krishna. Here it's a verb that means, you know, come to me, take shelter, and, 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 only me, and, 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 and come to me. But there's also the fact that a word has a primary meaning, which is that when we hear it, it's what our mind thinks of first. So Pujapatridamarsh commented on this verse of the Gita. He said, and here the word brajat means to, to go or to come to Krishna. Hmm? But but when Arjun but 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 when we but when Arjun but when Krishna spoke the word hmm? Braja, its common meaning for him in particular is Vrindavan. So suddenly at the end of the Gita he spoke the word meaning something else, but hearing the word, his mind went to Vrindavan. And that's the end of the Gita. He couldn't say anything more, now he's gone. Something like that. It's a very charming explanation. Hmm? And that's where we're trying to figure out how do we get to him, he's gone, you know, he's lost now. He can't speak, his omniscience is gone. He can't, he's speaking the Gita, he's, this is a different Leela than the Vrindavan Leela, He's showing all this opulence of knowledge and instructing, and now he's gone. There's no teaching there. It's it's beyond the Vedas and and so forth. His omniscience is is uh, is, is insignificant there. So, but at any rate, um, this sharanam, uh, um, sharanagati, is the as I say, the outer expression of faith. It's said that our eligibility to tread the path of bhakti is faith in bhakti. You have to have faith in anything to do anything, but it, you have to have faith in yoga, Ashtanga yoga, as a goal, and faith in the in the in the in the ideal of it to pursue it. But you need other things too, according to the Gita and according to the Yoga Sutras. You need to be a celibate. You need to do this, that, and the other thing to do. <coughs> excuse me, to approach that path. <coughs> Similarly for the Gyan Mark, you need faith, but you need other things. In bhakti, you don't need anything because there's nothing from this world that has purchasing power of bhakti. So all you need is faith in bhakti and then more bhakti will come to you and then you have purchasing power hmm? for more bhakti. Hmm? It's the idea. So, so sharanagati and shraddha these are two. One is the inner side, faith, shraddha. The other, the outer expression of sharanagati. If you have faith, it will be expressed in the sixfold sharanagati. We haven't got through all six yet. We're at like the one, two, fourth. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and this is the, this is central to the sharanagati. Um, we find an example in the Bhagavatam, in the Leela of Krishna where Nanda Maharaj is making an arrangement to worship Indra because they're agricultural people and the agricultural life depends on rain. So, meanwhile, Krishna, as a young boy, stops the sacrifice for Indra and and says you should worship Govardhan Hill and then shows himself to be Govardhan Hill. So this, in the Bhagavatam, is an example of 
Krishna's the advocacy of Sharanagati. He said, who cares for Indra, other gods, and so forth. And what happens at the end of that leela is all the gods appear, rains are cleared, Krishna lifted Govard on the hill, and nobody was got a drop of water on them at all. What to speak of being struck by lightning, nothing happened to them. And, there, and Indra's like, whoa, who am I? What did I do? Who is this? Oh, that's Vishnu. And I, he's in form. I wouldn't recognize him. He's just like a coward person. You know? And so all the gods appear and they give these different gifts to Krishna and Indra crowns him as Govinda. That's where he got his name, Govinda, which means, it also, it means Upendra, means the, the god of the gods. Hmm? So this is a way in which in the Leela of Krishna, the Sharanagati is being demonstrated. They're all Sharanagatas, and of course more than that, because that's the stage on which the drama of Krishna Leela is performed. So that's in place there, and the Leela's going on full um, full force. So, anyway, the point is that faith is expressed outwardly as Sharanagati. It's, it's not just a word. Hmm? And the central focus of the Sharanagati, the Sruplakshan, the primary characteristic is this sense of dependence. I depend on Krishna. Um, um, not on the gods. Would be, because, it, because in, see, in the Dharma mark, there's all the gods and gods are worshipped. And if you want this, you need that, and we need all these things. So we worship this god today, that is place of worship. This god, that's a nice thing in one sense, but um, it's it's all about the things that we think we need, and the higher teaching is you don't need anything, you're full, this is atma, and if anything, you need bhakti, which you have the capacity to take part in if the opportunity is offered, here it is, and so on and so forth. So, um, so in one sense, the sharanagati and this dependence means practically that we don't worship any other gods or goddesses. Hmm. We're not. De- we don't think we're dependent on them. If whatever we want, even even if we want something material, we'll depend on Krishna for that. Something like that. Um, so it's exclusive. Mam ekam sharanam. It's called being an exclusive devotion, only for Krishna. Hmm? Uh, <clears throat> and this might not seem as significant to you as it is in the culture in which this is being brought out. Because we're not here worshipping all kinds of gods in America and goddesses. And, uh, whereas in India, in the Varnashram, um, where it was more fully in vogue and in place, that was the religious path. That was every, every Hindu's religion. And so now to come along and say, Here's one cowherd, and he says, forget all that, just take shelter of me, and you don't even look like you can t- take care of yourself, you know, you're just a boy. You know? So it's a hard sell, so to speak. Uh, and it's a pretty, well, it's a pretty bold uh, statement that he's making, and so forth. And so to, to get that, to catch that, and and wean oneself from this other idea, it's a... The Bhagavatam labors to make the point, and Rupa Goswami has defined bhakti, the path that we're on, uttam bhakti, as a, as a path that is not dependent on karma or jnana. Hmm? So one might think, for example, and Arjun mentions it in the Gita, well, if I don't do the dharma, hmm, and I take to what you're advocating, 
and I'm, then I'll be culpable for foregoing the Dharma that I should have worshipped in this day, in this way, and done this to that God, and faced this direction here, and this and that, and so forth, and all the rules of Dharma. I'll be culpable for that. Maybe it would be compensated for the fact that I took to the path that you're recommending and I was successful, but what if I'm not successful and it's not easy? To control the mind is part of your path, and it's like the wind. How do you capture the wind? And Krishna kind of chuckles and kind of says, don't worry, there's no question of not being successful on that path, even if it appears that you're unsuccessful, you're successful. Indeed, he says, if you are fully successful on the Dharma Mark, you can go to heaven for zillions of years. And if on my path you're not fully successful, you can go there anyway. By unsuccessfully doing service to me, you can go there. Uh, and you get a sanskara for for, for, for my bhakti, which ultimately will take you far beyond the heavens, beyond mukti, even. Hmm? So that's how he assures Arjuna. There is no question of being unsuccessful in, in, in bhakti. Just don't go against bhakti. That's another thing. If you struggle in bhakti, still, you'll be successful. If you go against bhakti, then you commit aparad, then you know, that makes it... There's sins of the flesh, and then there's sins of the soul, so to speak, so... Operat we that we want to avoid. Hmm. So it's very encouraging. Hmm. Krishna says he's very bold and he's very powerful. This is our shraddha. We have the faith in, in him, so we can't be we can't be unsuccessful. Hmm. Yeah, Krishna says there: if you're unsuccessful after a short time of practice, you'll go to the heaven, hmm. and you'll go there. Not in the way that others who are successful in the karma marg go. You'll go there even though you didn't really want to go there. Hmm? But you had some material desire, so in another sense, in a broader sense, you did. Hmm? You, but you go there in the context of pursuing bhakti. So when you come down from there, unlike the, the karma who goes there, starts all over again, You'll take birth in a family that that is is pious and uh, well enough to do that. You don't have worries, and your your bhakti sangskar will come to the fore foreground, and you'll pick up right where you left off. Hmm? Uh, and he said, if you if you if you go there after if you're not successful after a long time of practice, not quite, then you'll be born in the family of transcendentalists, and from your very birth, you'll you'll. Uh, Taking it up and so on and so forth. So anyway, this how explains the uh, the power. One of the ways which explains the power of um, of yoga, and ultimately in that chapter he speaks about, about, about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he introduces yoga in the second chapter, you may note he introduces it by speaking about bhakti yoga. Mm-hmm. He talks about other kinds of yoga also, which are all which is the difference between dharma and religious life and spiritual life is yoga. So it's a connecting. In religious life means just to acquire material things. Spiritual life means to make union with the Godhead. So the different types of yoga, bhakti ultimately is the full face of it. So, so Sharanagati, uh, we get some idea of that. We're talking now about its central um, focus in relation to what's said in the Gita. Krishna says, if you have do Sharanagati, then you can start bhakti. So, 
Faith means eligibility. And I believe these things. Hmm? And I have confidence in that. So I, that, I, I have, that is my path. And that's all you need. And off you go. Um, so then the, the, the last two, Gopritvevaranantata, Akshikshatiyashvafe, Gopritvevaranantata, Atmanikshepa Karpaniya Shadvita Sharanadi. So, Karpaniya means dainya, means humility. This is part of Sharanagati, self-explanatory. We'll be going through it in depth. But um, the third stanza of Shikshastaka Mahaprabhu says, humble like a blade of grass. That's a good section to look at for some idea about humility. Humility was defined by Bhakti Siddhanta as absence of the enjoying spirit. When we try to enjoy a thing for ourselves, we see ourselves as the, as the master of it and the enjoyer of it. When you're on the enjoying end, um, it's not like being on the other end, humble um, um, side and uh, and um, independent, and so forth. So, so humility and and self kind of resignation, self resignation, atmanik shape or, or atmanidaidan, is sometimes explained as the way in which a domestic animal like Shamala. Hmm, is 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 resigned to uh, you, you can do what you want with me. I'm here. You want me there? I come over there. I'm here. I come over there. Get milk now. Okay. Eat now. Something like that. So self kind of res- resignation. There seems to be some overlapping in these things, but they're very subtle distinctions. So this is anyway, sharanagati. Hmm. And so for one who that Sharanagati that we cultivate is fully in place in the stage of Ruchi, where, as I've sometimes explained, the food, bec- the medicine becomes food. First, it's I should chant because it's a medicine. Enichausho di Maya. But, you know, this is the medicine for curing the disease of Maya. At a certain point, the medicine becomes food. The example sometimes is given if you have jaundice, in India, the cure is sugar cane. But when you eat the sugar cane, it tastes bitter when you have jaundice. But keep eating it, the jaundice will go away, and the sweetness that was always there in the cane will come out. Hmm? So the sweetness in bhakti, in, in chanting, and so forth. And because we have jaundice of avidya, of ignorance, in the, in the shape of material attachment, it's not coming out. But we, with proper understanding, um, we, uh, we take it. Nonetheless, it's medicine, and there's some sweetness there because we feel a little better. But after a certain point, it becomes like the food. So, this is this is ruchi, and so in ruchi, the sharanagati is fully in place. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur said that the sharanagata, Krishna hears the prayers. Brajendranandan Krishna means Krishna in Vrindavan, who's lost in love of Radha, forgetful of his godhood, and so forth. Here's the prayers of the Sharanagata. So I've made this point in my commentary in Shikshastakam to emphasize the importance of our sadhana and so forth. And yes, Krishna hears the prayers of the sadhakas, Ravana Bhakti, but what kind of prayers do they have to be in order for him him to hear them? Hmm? And I've made the point there that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is also Krishna. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, and he's 
Krishna in his most introspective moments, you couldn't get more Krishna-like than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, arises as a, as a, as a, he's, he's, a, he's, he's kind of, well, as, as Krishna tries to evaluate who Radha is, and is stunned by the fact that he's so attracted to her, when everybody's attracted to me, and worships me as God, but don't tell anybody about it. I feel like she's my worshipable object. And so how do I put this together? Hmm? What is it in her that drives me mad? And then he comes to the conclusion, it's something in me that drives her mad, that she sees that I don't experience from my perspective. It can only be experienced from her perspective. And I, so to know myself fully and taste myself, who am sweetness personified, I would do better to be in her position, from her vantage, from her vantage point. Hmm? Krishna is, is like the breath of everyone. So we can only, how much we're dependent on our breath, right? Hmm? We, so Krishna is like the breath of everyone. And, and Radha, then, is like the flute. Breathing is one thing, but if you breathe into a flute, you're breathing still, but something else is happening. It's just very fascinating, the sound. The sound of the breathing is something we don't listen to. It's there. If you tried, you'd hear it. Sometimes I sleep here at night, years ago when we first came here, and I thought, I would wake up to the sound of my breathing. I think, what was that? That's how quiet it was, you know. So quiet. I can hear myself breathing. Wow, this is a great place. So, uh, but breathing into the flute, that makes a very extraordinary. So, Radha is within Krishna as his Sarup Shakti, but she comes out and manifests as a transformation of his love. And that's like a breath playing the flute. So, um, uh, so, so when Krishna's thinking like this, he wants to taste himself and to know himself uh, in the most comprehensive way and, and taste what it, what it is that's enabling her to taste sweetness more than himself. This is the, the secret he discovers, so to speak then as soon as he makes that determination, that is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? That is the birth of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. He's, he's, he, it is Krishna Leela. It's the very center of Krishna Leela. You can't get more Krishna, so to speak, than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And so the limitations for tasting sweetness, which is what Krishna does, He's a supreme enjoyer. He's Rasa Raj, the king of Rasa. So the king of tastes. So his only business is to taste Rasa. Hmm? Not even to establish Dharma. Those are like partial manifestations of Krishna. In Braj, he's just, just tasting sweetness. That's all. Hmm? So, 
he realizes that in my Leela, I cannot fully taste rasa because I can see that Radha's tasting rasa more than me. So my Leela has some limitations, so I need another Leela. And that is Chaitanya Leela. It's not a lesser thing, it's a more thing. Hmm? And in the form of Chaitanya, he, 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 he pursues the, the, the mood of Radha and becomes um, successful in, in, in doing that. And then the opportunity to experience that on our part also becomes possible. That opportunity he makes available to the world, which oh, just kind of a byproduct of him pursuing it. Others come to help him, and there's a teaching around it, and so on and so forth. So... Um, So this is the one side of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Now, his coming to taste that also corresponds with the, with the time of the, of the Kali Yuga. Hmm? And so there's a Dharma for each Yuga. So the Dharma for Kali Yuga is chanting, Krishna Nam Kirtan. Hmm? And so he does that as well, which is kind of an outer thing. But the outer Namkirtan that he does is nonetheless informed by its inner reality because ordinarily the Yuga avatar would be some expansion of Krishna who comes and teaches the Dharma for the age. Again, Krishna's not the teacher of the Dharma. He's Rasaraj. He's just lost in Vrindavan. But he came at that time. And inside of Krishna, of course, all the other aspects of Krishna, as Paramatma and Narayan, they're all inside of him. And so because he has a primary purpose that's corresponding with a secondary purpose in the universe, the distribution of the Dharma, he does both and there are two sides to him. But he's acting as the, as the, as the um, uh, Yuga avatar, teaching the Dharma of the Yuga, the chanting, but it's not in every Kali Yuga that the chanting, for example, of Hare Krishna will have the same result. It will take you to Vaikuntha. Hmm? Therefore, Raghunathasko Sami says, Nama Sheshtam Api Sachiputram Matrasvarupam, etc. He makes obeisances to his guru, starting by saying, My obeisances to my guru, from whom I received Nama Sheshtam. Not just the Nam, but Nama Sheshtam. Sheshtam here means the highest conception of the name. Hmm? So we have a particular understanding of the Hare Krishna mantra. Some people might say, Ram, the Lord of Hanuman, Krishna, Hari, different names. But here we find Radha, Krishna. Hmm? Hari means Radha, for example. And, oh, some goats got loose. I guess we can let them run around. They're not going to go too far. They won't go far. Yeah. Ah, they'll be all right. So, um, so there's these two sides of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There's the outer side, teaching the Dharma of Kali Yuga, and the inner side, pursuing his ideal. But he uses the method for mukti, liberation, to Vaikuntha of chanting, to pursue his inner ambition. And because he's not the ordinary Yuga avatar, he has another purpose, 
then his, his Sankirtan is very special. So Nam Shrestha means the highest conception of the name, the name, conception of the name that takes one to Vrindavan. Narutam says, Golokero Premo Dhan Harinam Sankirtan. Through the medium of Harinam Sankirtan, hmm, the Prem, which is the wealth, the Dhan, the wealth of Goloka, is being exported here. Hmm. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu, Prajananda Nagi, Satisutta Hoyose, Balaram Hoyunitai. Hmm? Krishna and Balaram have come as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda, and they're bringing this Sankirtan. Hmm? So even the outer side of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is informed by his inner side and more esoteric, if you will, than the ordinary Yuga Dharma, the ordinary chanting of the uh, Namsan Kirtan. Hmm? Um, so, both sides of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu were there. One side, his Yuga Dharma side, is a little more relative to us, um, um, in a sense, becoming a Sharanagata. The other side is more relative to the inner pursuit that extends beyond that into Bhava Bhakti and so on and so forth. Hmm? Um, point being that if we take shelter of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Nam Sankirtan in pursuit of Sharanagati, who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? He has both sides in him, but he is, as we've already described, he's the Krishna of Krishna. Hmm? So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu will hear our prayers as Raganuga um, aspirants or, or sadhakas. Hmm? And um, and therefore we should only focus on him, something like that. Hmm? He is Krishna in the form that Krishna is most present here. Hmm? Of course, we cannot focus on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu without simultaneously focusing on Krishna because that's what he's all about. He's all about love of Krishna. <laughs> so... If we focus on the deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we find ourselves worshipping uh, Radha and Krishna. Hmm? So the question is, before attaining the full uh, of Sharanagati in the stage of Ruchi, can we worship Krishna hmm? as he appears in Vrindavan, right? And so yeah, the answer is yes, we, we can. Indeed, by worshipping Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we are worshipping him. Hmm? And and we should, at some point, as that devotion becomes mature, it, sometimes the deity will show himself as Krishna, who's, who's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's, it's me. This has happened to Ramananda Roy, right? He was worshipping Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and then he saw Radha and Krishna. He said, wait a minute, put my glasses back. And then he saw the sannyasi, and then he saw Radha and Krishna. Hmm? Not only is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Krishna, but he is Radha and Krishna. Hmm? Uh, Sri uh, Krishna Chaitanya, Radha Krishna Nahayanya. Uh, Rasaraj Mahabhav Duyekarup is another way of saying the same thing. Rasaraj is Krishna, the king of Rasa. And Mahabhav is this super, the full face of love that is Radha. Rasaraj Mahabhav Dui, the two, Ekarup. In one form, that's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Radha Krishna Nahayanya. It means the same thing. Radha and Krishna are one in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, Rupanuga Jani Rajivan, 
And this is the life of the followers of Rupa Goswami. So, yes, we can worship Krishna and as he appears in Vrindavan, even though we haven't attained the stage of Ruchi yet. Um, you better, because if you don't, you'll develop a different taste. Ruchi means taste. So if you worship uh, Narayan, hmm, you'll develop a taste for Narayan. Because what you practice, hmm, that will determine your perfection. Like it said, practice makes perfect. Hmm? So as our sadhana goes, so our sadhya, our attainment. Hmm? So this 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 uh, life of the sadhakas is very important. Of course, how we worship will be determined by our, again by our association. So. Here we have the three deities of Gornatai and then Sharanagata Saragahi. We have Radha Krishna and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Madhavan, we have Krishna and Balaram. So both of those other two ashrams, Krishna's there. He got his flute. That's how he appears in Vrindavan. And that is my answer to your question. Does that help? A little roundabout, but pretty comprehensive. So, so. Yes, we is our only object, uh, Vrindavan. You know, and, and I've said it again in, in Shikshastra, what kind of prayers will have to be. It's kind of a, it's kind of an inspirational kind of a push there that I've made. It's not that Krishna maybe won't hear your prayers in in, in Nishta or, but but it's a way of saying how ardent our Sharanagati should be. If this is our objective, and this is his situation, he's lost in love, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and so, I think we're going to over time. What is the time? 740. okay. Nice question. Something else? You wrote in your commentary that you think all devotees should rally around it. That verse. I was just wondering what you meant when you wrote, wrote like that. Well, I've often described Nishta, which that verse is speaking about, as an interim goal. And um, it's spoken about there in a number of ways in the verse, but central to the verse is the humility the decorum of the devotee, the humility, the tolerance, the offering respect to others, expecting no honor for oneself. So if all the devotees in the larger community all rally around this verse, this should be our focus, then it will be the, 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 the kind of quarreling and a Vaishnava parad that you see going on, it will all disappear. Hmm? And the path will be clear. Because if you cultivate these things, you can't you can't be making offenses. Hmm? You be respectful to every everyone. Expect no honor for yourself. Hmm? You can't get outraged because someone has shown you wrong or something like that. I had a recent experience of that, <laughs> and um, and so on. So um, it's uh, Mahaprabhu says, if this is in place. Then from there, the path, the path to Prem is, is, is quick. So it's a rally around, you know, let's, let's uh, put a focus there as an interim goal, something like that.
Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yes. One question. <clears throat> it said that Lord Chaitanya is fully Krishna, right? And, and fully Radha. Fully, fully Radha. He's more Radha than Krishna. That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> because when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life is successful, this is the last verse of Shikshastakam. Uh-huh. Hmm? Right. When he utters the last verse of Shikshastakam, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami comments on it. He says, and this verse was spoken by Radha. Uh-huh. Hmm? And, and then, you know, it can be explained how Radha would say such a thing and so what's the implication of that. But it means he was successful. So it's Krishna trying to stand in the, in the position of Radha and experience her bhava. So. Hmm? He's more Radha than Krishna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes? What's that? My English is not so very well. Uh-huh. Can, can you translate, please? Is uh, resignation and humility the same? No, they're a little different. But um, it is hard to hmm, distinguish between the two. I'll acknowledge that. Um, but I've defined humility as the absence of the enjoying spirit and so this kind of a it's defined negatively and Atmani Vedan has more of a or self-resignation has more of a positive connotation if I'm going to be free from the the um, enjoying spirit which as defined by Bhaktisiddhanta which makes me humble that's one thing and now I sign on like your domestic animal. Do with me as you like. Next slide. Bueno, son muy similar, pero las diferencias es es más en en se puede ver humildad como algo negativo en que te te deja dar todo y resignar, ¿se dice? Es uh, más como la nivel, es más positivo en dar lo que tienes y usarlo más positivamente. Entiendo. Hablamos del Paramatma, que está manifestado en el corazón. Hanuman tenía así Nosotros. ¿Podemos transformar el, para, el Paramatma con nuestra devoción en Radha Krishna? Sí. <laughs> sí. She was saying that Hanuman looked in his heart and found Radha and Krishna, or Sita and Ram, instead of the Paramatma forehand. So if we look in our heart, are we going to see Radha and Krishna, right? Yeah. The answer is yeah. yeah. Sí. Que se va a cambiar la, el amor de, de Sita y Ram en su corazón, pero si uno busca en su corazón Paramatma, si uno está persiguiendo y, y da servicio con Guru, va a encontrar a Radha Krishna, es su pregunta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sí. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so we stop there. So you see, Gornatananda ki jai, Radha Krishna ki jai, Raji Gopal ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanandi. Jai. Jai. Jai.